This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. Later on in the hour, we will be speaking with David Hoos, who is the leading attorney, anti-death penalty attorney in Massachusetts, having done some 15 or 20 capital cases. And we're going to be talking about the result in the Parkland case, Parkland murder case, the Parkland shooting. We'll talk about that later in the hour, and then we'll have our concluding segment, always, as always on Friday with Donna Cassis. We start with one Josh Silver, who is the executive chairman of Represent Us, and is also, and I think we will start here, is on the Mayor's Ad Hoc Advisory Committee on COVID, and you'd mentioned to me what was happening at the Northampton School Committee, so let's take a few minutes there before we get to national politics. Josh Silver, what's happening with the school committee? What's it doing with regard to COVID? Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Monty. Morning. The the, the knob turner, Monty (laughs) Belmonte. it's uh, yeah, so bleak day in Northampton uh, weather wise, but also sort of a bleak night last night, in my opinion. I'm on the ad hoc advisory committee for the schools around COVID. And um, our committee was tasked with, by the school committee here in Northampton to advise them on how to handle the COVID 19 virus now that it has moved from a pandemic to an endemic virus. And that's not to say there's no danger. There are distinct possibilities that that it could, we could see surges this winter, and we don't know how lethal they'll be. But generally, the the virus is trending like a, an endemic virus, similar to what you saw with the Spanish flu and other other viruses, pandemics that have hit uh, in the last few hundred years, where it's less lethal um, and it's causing less uh, long term. Um, long-term damage for people so long as they are able to get vaccinated and take precautions. Our advisor committee advised the school committee to simply follow the state guidelines on how to deal with the virus in schools. And that is what most cities are doing around the state. The vast majority of, of school districts are doing. However, here in Northampton, there's a small but very opinionated crew uh, on the school committee that wants to actually create the their own COVID-19 precautions and guidelines uh, for the city of Northampton alone. And the problem with that bill is that we do not have here in, in the city of Northampton nearly the kind of expertise in the way of virologists and epidemiologists to be able to do that well. And so our committee said, no, that's bad policy. Just let's follow the state guidelines. And um, last night, the school committee took up those, those that official recommendation from our committee and moved it over to the rules committee rather than simply adopt it. And that's so that doesn't mean it's never going to happen. But I will say there's been a drama playing out at the school committee. And the real the real shame in it is that our school committee in my opinion, needs to be dealing with so many important issues that relate to education and instead have literally been subsumed by this topic for well over a year. Uh, And it doesn't make sense. And it's costing, it comes at the expense of our students, of our teachers, our administrators. And uh, and it's just something that uh, really should change. So there, I'm, I'm off of my soapbox, Bill. One last question before you leave the soapbox. What is the policy of the Northampton school schools and school committee uh, with regard to COVID-19 protocols while all this is going on? 
Well, so there's, it's a whole grab bag of different things. You can't just say, oh, here's the policy. Because, you know, if there is somebody who has COVID in a classroom, then students have to wear a mask for five days. And, you know, there's all these different policies that relate to different areas of re responding to having a case in the schools. The, the problem that, that, I'm, that I see is that about three months ago, the Massachusetts Department of Health and the Massachusetts Department of Education finally merged their guidelines for everybody. So same guidelines for camps, for, uh, for in-person private schools, for public schools, same recommendations from the Department of Health and the Department of Education, which used to be different and was super confusing. They consolidated it, streamlined it. Our advisory committee, including the vote of our new super and interim superintendent, including the chief physician for the schools, including the chief nurse, and including uh, the head of uh, health services, all of us voted to just simply follow the state guidelines. Everybody's on the same page. The mayor is on the same page. But this holdout group on the school committee is saying, no, you're all wrong. All you experts are wrong. And you, you city employees are wrong and uh, we're going to do it ourselves and make it because we're better than the state uh, guidelines. And it's it's nonsense. And so I think it needs to change. Um, I certainly have a, a horse in this. I'm, I'm biased because I think it's really bad policy, something I've been working on policy generally for 20 years uh, to create your own complex policy in a little city like Northampton when there are good state guidelines. OK. Josh Silver, we're going to remove remove you from that soapbox and put you on another soapbox, if we could. Let's do it. This is the National Politics Soapbox. I want to say that last night on uh, PBS NewsHour, there was a, I believe that's where I saw it, was a long piece on the Senate race in Wisconsin uh, where a Democrat is challenging a longtime Republican uh, incumbent. And it seems that the Democrats are, well, in the most recent polling, uh, down a few points, and I'm wondering where that race stands in terms of the Democrats being able to continue to have control of sorts in the United States Senate, uh, at least a majority of one by virtue of the vice presidents having the final say when it's a 50-50 split. Where is the U.S. Senate race, the race for the U.S. Senate in control of it? Where does that stand now, and what do you see happening come Election Day? So right now, you know, it's it's a really good question, Bill. And right now, the best betting odds, and this is a very difficult cycle to predict, and it really matters. Let's 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 be clear, because you've got a Republican Party that's been subsumed by the cult of Trump, and has become a an autocratic threat that is that is fascist. Um, that it follows many of the same contours of, of the Nazi regime leading up to World War II. That is not hyperbole. This is a, a dangerous anti-democratic force in American politics, unlike anything we've seen in the history of our country. So the stakes are incredibly high as we look at whether or not this Democrat's tenuous hold on the Senate, which of course is a 50-50 tie with the vice president casting the deciding vote, um, it, the chessboard looks something like this. Wisconsin, you, you alluded to it, it looks really pretty bad for the Democrats. It seems by all accounts that Ron Johnson, the senator there, is going to beat the lieutenant governor, Mandela Barnes. They had a, they had a debate last night. Johnson held his own. Um, it, it, 
Johnson's got a lead by of about three points in aggregate right now in Wisconsin, and it's very hard to envision Mandela Barnes being able to overcome that, particularly because what you have in a midterm election is a is a very reliable uh, pattern where the party that controls the White House loses ground as you get closer to the election, and we're about 25 days out, and it's very hard to to envision the Democrat gaining ground in the meantime. However, at the same time, you see Pennsylvania, where it's very likely that Fetterman is going to beat Oz. It's close. It's tightened down to about a two, three-point spread that Fetterman's ahead, but he's recovering from his stroke. He's a very good candidate. I think it's very likely that Fetterman pulls that out. Likewise, it's it's quite likely that, that we're going to see uh, Raphael Warnock in in Georgia pull out his race as well. He's been up pretty reliably in the polls. He's up by about three points on average right now over over um, Herschel Walker. Thank you, Herschel Walker. I think Monty's best friend, um, <laughs> it, who commits tons of unforced errors. All these scandals about his you know his babies out of wedlock that he denies, and I mean just so much paying for abortions. So. You know, Pennsylvania is a Republican seat that can go to Fetterman if we can, if, if the Democrats hold off uh, Walker in Georgia, it's going to be pretty likely that the Democrats are going to be able to hold on to that tie, at least in the Senate. I think that's the most likely outcome. And that's because the Republicans already have the seat in Wisconsin. It would be a pickup if Mandela Barnes could beat Ron Johnson, which is not statistically that very likely at all at this point. Right. That's that's correct. That's correct. So I want to ask you uh, uh, the, the big picture uh, question, if I might. You talk about Fetterman versus Oz in Pennsylvania and Warnock versus Herschel Walker in Georgia. Oz is a crazy person. Herschel Walker is completely incompetent. All they have going for them is we love Trump. We're anti-immigrants. We're for law and order. And they're celebrities. That's the other thing. Both Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker have reputations pre-politics as celebrities, as did Donald Trump. They are screamingly incompetent and dangerous, and yet they are really close to becoming U.S. senators. How did we ever get to this point? Well, it's it's we became an entertainment culture, right? I mean, this is something that has been written about about for a hundred years. About like, and this 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 started these observations started with the rise of radio and television in the early in the early part of the 20th century, where this country has been enamored by celebrity for our, our the history of modern history of our country. I think it's something that we adopted from England, which is another culture that has influenced ours a lot, and they are obsessed with celebrity culture. And, you know, this is about people who are busy, who don't have a lot of time, who don't spend, pay attention to politics, They've seen Dr. Oz on daytime TV. They're familiar with his face, seems like a nice guy. Like that's kind of the reptilian mind that drives American politics. Most people are just struggling to get by. They can't spend a lot of time reading detailed articles about Oz's policy positions like Bill Newman does. And so, you know, this is this is the this is the sort of ADD culture that we have, and it's it, its greatest embodiment is, is Donald Trump, right? Who has had some legal setbacks recently. Do you see him, well, let, me, let me phrase that more neutrally, 
What do you think the odds are Trump is going to announce his 2024 presidential candidacy soon? Well, he's got he's only got 25 days, Bill, because the, the, the way campaign finance law works, it is a t- world of pain for Donald Trump to announce his candidacy before the midterms, both financially because of, of arcane, you know, sort of, and I don't mean that in a negative sense, complex campaign finance laws that really dissuade people from announcing candidacies before the midterms, but more importantly, literally every Republican in the country saying, for the love of God, don't announce your run before the midterms because you're going to polarize and disrupt our races if you do it. And that is the driving dynamic behind his delay. He's only got 25, he's waited a long time. In all likelihood, Donald Trump announces his candidacy 26 days from now on November 9th or 10th, a couple days after the midterm election, which is November 8th. But I do think that what we saw yesterday, the fact that the that the the, the January 6th commission was able to show more convincingly than ever before that Donald Trump was a aware of the fact that he lost the election. This is this intent, this awareness that he had actually lost and then combined with video and uh, testimonial evidence that he instructed his people to actually hide these classified documents after being issued a subpoena in May. I think the combination of these two things, when you layer them on top of the investigations in New York, in Georgia, in uh, on top of his the rape case that's going through the courts against him, I mean, when you put this all together with this latest information, I, it is difficult to envision the Department of Justice not issuing charges, indicting him on this classified document issue. It's it's just virtually, I, 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 most legal experts are starting to say it's kind of impossible for that not to happen at this point. We are speaking with Josh Silver. We're going to continue our conversation on the other side of the break. I'm going to ask him, what are the odds that the Republicans are going to take control of the House of Representatives and then start their investigations up and down and sideways all about President Biden and Kamala Harris and Democrats and the policies and Ukraine? We'll be right back. But don't you wager that I'll hide the sorrow when I'm This is Bill right Newman, WHMP. Now the race is on and here comes pride at the backstretch. Do you know what's going on in business in Western Mass? You do if you read Business West. Find out which companies are growing, which companies are innovating. Learn about people on the move, people taking the lead. Every issue of Business West is packed with business news, including incorporations, building permits, real estate transactions, and bankruptcies. Pick up a copy or read Business West online. The vital business news is in Business West, the business journal of Western Mass. Picture perfect days in the valley, and there's not a better place to celebrate those perfect days than at the Bridgeside Grill in Sunderland. The Bridgeside Grill has undergone a stunning transformation and expansion, and now it's time to revisit one of your favorite spots. Check out the new and expanded bar area, or dine outside on the patio. The Bridgeside Grill is open Tuesday starting at 9 a.m. and serves breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And don't forget about Sunday brunch and live music every Thursday and Sunday. The Bridgeside Grill, right in the heart of downtown Sunderland. Why work for just any hospital when you can work for Cooley Dickinson Hospital in Northampton? 
Cooley Dickinson is the winner of the Best Local Hospital Award by the Daily Hampshire Gazette's 2022 Reader's Choice Awards. And right now, they're offering a $7,500, yes, a $7,500 sign-on bonus for surgical techs and first assistant surgical techs. Don't wait. Visit CooleyDickinson.org today to apply. State Street Fruit Store. What the heck is a fruit store anyway? Well, State Street opened in Northampton in the 1920s as a fruit store, selling local fruit and other produce from the valley. And even though State Street has grown to be much more, deli, wines, spirits, they are still a fruit store. And right now, State Street and their sister store, Cooper's Corner in Florence, are under an avalanche of apples and everything from the orchards up and down the valley. Galas and honey crisps, McCown and the good old fashioned Macintosh, along with pears, plums, and other delights from the orchard. Northampton has always been a fruity place. We are what we eat. State Street Fruit Store in Northampton and Cooper's Corner in even fruitier Florence. Hi, this is Jessica from Fitness Together. I meet clients every day who tell me that as the number on their scale grew higher, their self-esteem dropped lower, and going to a traditional gym absolutely terrified them. Here at Fitness Together, we'll work with you one-on-one, either virtually or in one of our private suites in Amherst or Northampton. We'll help you set and reach your fitness goals, and most importantly, smile every time you look in the mirror. Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. Your self-worth is worth Fitness Together. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Josh Silver, who is a founder, now is the executive chairman of Represent Us, a Northampton-based national organization that is devoted to trying to get big money out of politics. Josh, the U.S. House of Representatives, what are the odds that the Republicans are going to take over and elect a a Trumpista as the... uh, uh, Speaker of the House. Ninety nine percent, Bill. Maybe, maybe ninety nine point nine. That's, a, it's high, that's a high percent. It's done. the The House goes to the Republicans. Kevin McCarthy, it seems like, is going to hold on to his. You know, he 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 tacked so incredibly far to the right that uh, you know there's there's no there's no chance here. It's it's just. He, he's going to get the leadership position. He, he, he went super Trumpy, as you recall, right on January 6th. Uh, he for, for a second, he actually did the right thing and said, this is crazy. Trump needs to be impeached. And then he immediately saw the sort of winds blowing in Trump's favor, and he immediately fell in line. Uh, the House is going to be opening a bunch of investigations. Of course, things like yesterday, the January 6th commission subpoenaed Donald Trump which was a, a big deal it's never happened where a, a former president has been subpoenaed in that way uh, but that doesn't matter because he'll he'll challenge it legally it's only a couple months away and then boom the house goes to the republicans and uh and and donald trump is suddenly no longer being subpoenaed so the house will be the republicans the democrats in all likelihood is going to stay the same uh, I don't think it's going to go to the Republicans, but uh, yeah, the whole the whole 
commission committee show is going to flip and the facts are going to flip because we don't have any facts left in this country, right? The, the Republicans and their voters operate on one set of facts. The Democrats and their voters operate on a different set of facts. Uh, the new facts that the election was stolen, that uh, that the that Joe Biden is a raging socialist um, who wants to kill babies and and uh, and raise oil and gas prices and inflation as high as he can. That'll be the new normal on the House side, and the the the, the show is just going to continue on. Is this a result of gerrymandering? Uh, I mean, the, the House is Democratic now, other than the tradition. The traditional results, which is that the power, the party in power in the White House loses seats in the House in the midterms. Uh, is is there an explanation beyond that that gets to gerrymandering? Oh, yeah. uh, ab- absolutely. I mean, the, the House is heavily gerrymandered. The, the Republicans have been at it for 30 years. They are much better at it than the Democrats. Efforts to fix gerrymandering have kind of slowed down. Uh, in recent years, it's a it's an issue that I worked on, as you know, very uh, hard for ten years, and we were passing anti gerrymandering laws all across the country. As you recall, it was only four years ago that we passed uh, five different anti gerrymandering laws in one year in the in 2018 all across the country, which has helped, I will say, helped mitigate the Republicans' unfair advantage on this. Like you look at states like Michigan. <clears throat> or or um, Ohio, it's it, there's been market improvements, which is why Democrats actually like, for example, in the state of Michigan, this is stuff you don't hear about. In the state of Michigan, it's entirely possible that the Democrats are actually going to get a new majority for the first time in a long time uh, in the Michigan State Senate because of a ballot initiative that ended gerrymandering or fixed it uh, in that state. But yes, the short answer is federal gerrymandering is rampant. Uh, the sort of de- the deadline for fixing that for the next decade passed. We've it's locked in now until 2030. It's not going to change, and uh, it's it's really bad. And it's one of the most important political issues in America, and it's also one of the least sexy. Our regular segment with Josh Silver, we'll rename it. Let's be depressed together, <laughs> but <laughs> Monte, yes. I thought you were going to call it sexy mandering or something like that. <laughs> oh, Sex and depression with Josh Silver. Thanks so much, Josh. We really appreciate your time and insights. Thanks for being you with bet. us on Thanks, a regular guys. basis. This yeah. is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. An online petition has picked up over 1,000 signatures to remove the Big Indian statue at the Native and Himalayan Views, formerly the Big Indian Shop, on Route 2 in Charlemont. Samantha Sylvester started the petition and wrote, The caricature images found at Native and Himalayan Views continue to invisibilize hundreds of sovereign nations and cultures. The owner of the store, Sonam Lama, bought the shop in 2009, said he's willing to meet and work with Sylvester. A recent study presented by the Amherst Regional School Committee shows most students and parents support the changes in school start times. The change started last fall with the school day starting at 8.10 for Amherst and Pelham Elementary Schools and 9 a.m. for students in middle and high school. The survey was completed by over 1,000 people, including 277 responses from students. According to the Gazette, staff members were almost evenly divided on whether the schedule changes had a positive impact on them. 
Homes in East and West Hampton were without power last night due to the weather. As many as 2,000 households were in the dark in East Hampton alone, along with more than 95% of customers in West Hampton. According to police, the reason for the outage was from tree branches on South Street. Those branches took down some power lines. Eversource arrived shortly after midnight to begin repairing the down lines. And tomorrow is the Millworks Makers and Arts Market in Shelburne Falls. 25 artists are opening up their studios at 49 Conway Street to allow attendees to view and shop their art. The event will be held from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Chance for a scattered shower this morning, becoming mostly sunny by early afternoon, a high of 64 to 68. Mostly clear tonight, overnight low 36 to 42. Mostly sunny on Saturday, a high of 66 to 70. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El comité del 6 de enero de la Cámara de Representantes votó unánimemente el jueves para citar al expresidente Donald Trump exigiendo su testimonio personal al revelar un nuevo video sorprendente de asesores cercanos que describen su plan de varias partes para anular su derrota electoral de 2020 que condujo al feroz ataque de sus partidarios contra el Capitolio de los Estados Unidos. Con mensajes alarmantes del Servicio Secreto de Estados Unidos advirtiendo sobre la violencia y un nuevo y vívido video de la presidenta de la Cámara de Representantes, Nancy y Pelosi y otros líderes del Congreso pidiendo ayuda, el panel mostró la cruda desesperación en el Capitolio. Usando un lenguaje que se ve con frecuencia en las acusaciones penales, el panel dijo que Trump había actuado de manera premeditada antes del 6 de enero de 2021, a pesar de que innumerables ayudantes y funcionarios le dijeron que había perdido. Es casi seguro que Trump rechazará la citación y se negará a testificar. En su medio de comunicación social, criticó a los miembros por no preguntarle antes, aunque no dijo que habría cumplido y llamó al panel un fracaso total. En otras informaciones, la ciudad de Holyoke verá uno de sus días más activos en los últimos años con la celebración de varios eventos ocurriendo este sábado 15 de octubre. Uno de ellos es la segunda celebración del evento de Puertas Abiertas de Holyoke, el cual ofrecerá visitas guiadas y autoguiadas de diferentes edificios y locaciones en la ciudad, las cuales no son generalmente abiertas al público. Más información está disponible en exploreholyoke.com. También la tradicional gran carrera de los ladrillos se llevará a cabo en Ray Street de 11 de la mañana a 2 de la tarde y el día continúa con la celebración del segundo festival de comida de Paper City en High Street de 3 de la tarde a 9 de la noche. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Yesterday in Florida, a jury returned a sentence of life without parole and not the death penalty in the Parkland High School shooting murders. 17 people died, 14 students, three adults, including the athletic director and a teacher who tried to save the kids. The murderer, Nicholas Cruz, pled guilty to all of those charges. There was a trial on one issue, death or life without parole, which is death in prison. With us today to discuss this is attorney David Hoos. David is a Northampton-based attorney, a partner in the law firm of Sasson, Turnbull, Ryan, and Hoos, and he has done some approximately 18 capital cases across the country uh, in States, including Massachusetts, the VA hospital, 
case with the nurse who was accused of murdering uh, patients there. Uh, he's done death penalty cases in West Virginia and Georgia uh, and a number of other states as well, New York. And he is with us today to give us his perspective on how this jury came back with a sentence of life without parole instead of death in what is truly a horrifying, horrifying massacre. How does that, how does it work that way? How did this happen? Well, uh, I mean, it's always encouraging to me that um, a, a jury can uh, get past the abhorrent level of violence and look at the person uh, as an individual, uh, an individual who um, really, I think from everything that I've read about it, never had a chance uh, in life, um, was literally poisoned in the womb by his mother's um, uh, abuse of drugs uh, uh, and, and alcohol. Um, and uh, this, this is uh, a, about the strongest case of uh, mitigation uh, that you can come up with, um, uh, a, a case of mitigation that sort of starts before you even enter consciousness, even enter uh, the world. Um, uh, this kid uh, was uh, impaired uh, in his ability to feel, to think, uh, to appreciate right and wrong in the way that uh, you uh, and I do. Um, it, it, it's, of course, a, a, a horrific case. Uh, but, you know, I'm not, I've been uh, uh, opposed to the death penalty in all circumstances for really all my adult life. Uh, and um, I think that uh, I, I am increasingly... Um, um, uh, appreciative of jurors' abilities to um, get beyond the horrifics uh, of what this guy has done uh, and to reach what I think is the uh, right result for us as a human race. Let's spend a minute on how horrific and how sad this case is. This defendant, uh, Nicholas Cruz, I'll just quote the one sentence from the New York Times. He killed 14 students and three faculty members in just under six minutes, stopping only after he could not find anyone else to kill, he said later, before escaping on foot. It has a sense of premeditation. He's someone who survived in the world for 24 years before he committed this atrocity. Uh, how does a jury get past the fact that, well, he functioned reasonably well, I mean, he at least functioned in the world, and there doesn't seem to be a uh, psychotic break that happened that day. So explain a little bit more how uh, you, as a capital defense lawyer, would present this case and how these lawyers did present this case. Well, you know, I don't have a lot of uh, detail in terms of uh, exactly um, what the defense uh, strategy was, except what is obvious from the news reports. I mean, the first thing is uh, that he pled guilty, uh, and that, that's a tactical decision that has become increasingly uh, more uh, uh, common. Uh, I mean, in cases like this, I mean, look, nobody is going to buy that he's not criminally responsible. Um, and it's better to just uh, own up to what you've done, and let's just start uh, uh, with, the, with the case for mitigation. Um, and, you know, when I talk about case for mitigation, I mean, we have to preface that by saying that to a certain degree, 
there is nothing that can mitigate uh, 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 this. Uh, I mean, the facts are just uh, so horrific. That that's that's kind of a, a starting point. And I mean, for those who say he deserves to die for this, you know, I, I wouldn't even argue with them about that. Um, uh, you know, but the, the, the bigger issue for me is not whether he deserves to die. The issue is whether we deserve to kill him. And uh, uh, that's where I part company with the people who, uh, who look at this as strictly a situation of, well, yes, vengeance uh, is not a good thing, but in certain cases it's, uh, it's justified. Uh, you know, the Ron DeSantis's of the world, and, well, and every Florida politician who says, you know, well, if you're not going to have the death penalty for this, you might as well not have a death penalty. Well, maybe we shouldn't have a death penalty. Um, One aspect of this is something that I remember reading in uh, Sister Helen Prejean's books and in the speeches I've heard her give, which is that some family members of victims uh, look at the death penalty as something that will give them closure. And what her work with these family shows is it doesn't. Once the person is executed, all the pain is still there. They don't receive that closure through an execution. And I'm wondering if that comports with what you have learned in the decades that you've been doing death penalty work, David. I think that is uh, is so true. It's true for the death penalty, and it's true for a lot of different aspects of the criminal justice system, is that people think they're going to get closure and healing from something that a, a judge does or a jury does in a courtroom. And in my experience, that is just not the case. Um, that is, you know, another instance of the overworked phrase of the big lie. You know, you're, you're going to feel better uh, if this happened. And, um, you know, for, for those people who lost children, um, you know, you and I have children. I mean, we, we can't even imagine the horror of this. And how you pick up the pieces and, and go on after this, I, I can't even get my mind around it. And, and as, as you noted, I've done, uh, you know, I think, 17, 18, 19 of these cases uh, in various aspects, uh, various parts of the country. Um, the most horrific crimes, all, they're all terrible. Well, they're all murders. They're all murders, and in, in, in not only that, they're all terrible uh, murders. Uh, um, I, I was thinking as I was walking over here of the three that I still have pending. They're, they're just awful. Um, but yet... When you sit down with the people who have uh, been accused and in these cases convicted of doing them, what you find is that these are uh, human beings. They are flawed human beings, and they're usually, it's not very hard to find out why they're flawed and where the flaws came from. They're people who have been emotionally and economically deprived their entire lives, uh, their thinking has been distorted, uh, um, and uh, and they've been placed in a society where it's easy to get weapons uh, to act out your craziest fantasies. I have a question about this uh, jury that returned this verdict of uh, life without parole as opposed to a death penalty. According to the news reports, three of the 12 jurors uh, voted for life without parole, uh, under Florida law, under U.S. Supreme Court law, I believe, maybe clarify that, the verdict has to be unanimous, and, and, un, and it wasn't here, and therefore in the lack of a unanimous verdict for death, life without parole becomes the sentence. That said, 
to be on a capital jury, you can't be opposed to capital punishment. Right. So everyone sitting there is sworn in and gets on the jury only if they'll say, yep, I think death penalty is certainly appropriate in some cases. seems to me that the uh, you know, hindsight, uh, oh, well, the defense had a good case here, is really hindsight because going into this, every juror on that panel said, yep, in the right case, I'd return a death penalty. Yeah. That, uh, I mean, jurors are screened before they're put on a capital case, uh, and it's been the, been the law for over 50 years, uh, that if you say, look, I cannot, uh, I am against the death penalty in all circumstances, uh, you cannot be seated on a capital jury. Similarly, if you say, I think anybody who kills someone should get the death penalty no matter what the circumstances, you're not going to be seated either. These are all people who have said that they could listen to the evidence and weigh between as to whether life or death is the appropriate um, uh, judgment. And to circle back to your your question, Bill, yes, Florida Florida's statute was declared unconstitutional a number of years ago, and I don't remember the exact details. But when the legislature reenacted uh, their death penalty statute, they did what a lot of the modern, more recent statutes have done, which is basically given one juror the ability to block imposition of the death penalty. It has to be unanimous. It is not, that is not required under Supreme Court law. There are still cases, still other states that do not require unanimity. The federal government, which is where the majority of mine have uh, been, uh, um, the federal statute requires unanimity. One person opposes it, then the judge has to impose a sentence of life without possibility of release. Although the experts on jury dynamics will say really hard for one to stand against 11. Usually it takes at least two. But yeah, it, uh, um, w but it's not unheard of. Um, there was a, a very bad case in Puerto Rico a number of years ago that um, everyone was predicting was going to be a death verdict. One person refused to go along with it. Where does the death penalty stand nationally? And what has the Biden administration's position done to change that yeah, situation? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, it's, it, it, it has faded in a number of states. Uh, I, I think we are down to something like 26 or 7 states that still have the death penalty, a number of states. At one time, for years, it was 38 was the number we always used. Um, yeah, it's, I think I think it's twenty six states don't yeah. have it or, or aren't using it or have a moratorium. Yeah, a, a number of states have have repealed uh, their death penalty stuff. I mean, and what's going on with Biden is actually a good question. Um, uh, uh, um, I think uh, Biden made it clear that he was opposed to the death penalty. Um, there have been some capital cases. There's one that just began in New York uh, just yesterday. Uh, the the guy who ran over the bicyclists uh, on uh, on uh, uh, right on the on the West Side Highway there, um, and and that that was a case that was authorized by the previous administration. And we say authorized authorized for death. Penalty. Authorized by the Attorney General to pursue a uh, a, a capital sentence, and um, and I know that that defense team tried to get Biden to reverse that, uh, and uh, well, or Garland to reverse that, uh, and they declined uh, to do so. Um, so I, I think that they have been slow to uh, authorize any cases. When I say they, I mean Biden and, and Gar really Merrick Garland. 
Um, but they have also been reluctant to undo work uh, that was done by the prior uh, attorney general. They've done it in some cases, but not all. We'll leave it there, Attorney David Hoos. Thanks for being with us today. Okay, thank you. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Modest, very minimal increase in the police budget, largely uh, due to just regular contractual um, obligations. Holyoke is nothing like Northampton and Greenfield. The quality of life uh, issues, our demographics, very, very different. So I can never compare our police departments. The challenges we have going on in our city are very, very different. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. This week's Shop Tuesday is Galaxy. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Galaxy releases certificates for the restaurant in East Hampton. Dumplings, deviled eggs, and an ever-changing menu of creative plates, large and small. A stylish bar and lounge, a dining room with boots of white leatherette. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Galaxy in East Hampton, available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Buy a mattress online? There are at least 100 websites that'll ship you a mattress rolled up like a burrito and stuffed in a box. Wait a minute. You and your mattress will spend seven or eight intimate hours together every night for years. Don't you need more than pixels to know what it actually feels like? Maybe you could just lay on the screen and... Hi, it's Robin from Talon Furniture. We mostly sell therapeutic mattresses at Talon. Not Tempur-Pedic, not trying to mislead you. Come to Talon Furniture and lay down on a Therapeutic. I'll leave you alone. You can see how you are together. Therapeutic mattresses are clean. No toxic off-gassing. I've been to the factory in Brockton. Yes, they're made by fellow Red Sox fans. You like eating local? Try sleeping local. Talon delivers and sets it up. We don't just drop a big burrito on your doorstep. You won't have to wrestle it through the kitchen or up the stairs. Talon Furniture, a real store just down the hill from Amherst College. Today, I'm convening this conference because I believe we can use these advances to do even more to make America stronger and a healthier nation, to achieve ambitious goals and hunger in this country by the year 2030. This is a big deal. The President of the United States just announced to the world that ending hunger and promoting better nutrition in this country is a national priority. I think that's a good plan, and I think we can do it. Meanwhile, our neighbors have to eat today. The Food Bank of Western Mass is there for the over 100,000 neighbors who rely on emergency food each month. And if you want to help support the Food Bank of Western Mass, you can join the March for the Food Bank 13 Thanksgiving week. The federal government is making moves when it comes to fighting hunger, and the Food Bank itself is making moves. From Hatfield to Chicopee, you can move with us locally as we march from Springfield to Northampton on day one, and Northampton to Greenfield on day two. March yourself, start a team, virtually march. Get involved. Make some moves. Monty's March 13, making moves. Monday and Tuesday, November 21st and 22nd. Sign up now at Monty's March. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. The beat goes on. And this is Art Beat with Donabelle Cassis, who has with her and us today some very special guests. Donabelle, the microphone is yours. Thank you, Bill. Good morning. Now, there is a riveting exhibit up at the Amy H. Carberry Gallery at Springfield Technical Community College. It's titled 
Mercantiles by Baltimore artist Kamasi J. Barnett. And it's on view now until November 10th. And today, Kamasi J. Barnett and gallery director Sandra Perron join us today. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Now, Kamasi, you alter vintage Marvel and DC comic books to create an alternate series called The Amazing Black Man. Who is he? Uh, I would say he's sort of an everyman. He's a stand-in for all Black people in America, brown people, people who haven't really gotten the shine that they, they really uh, need. And it tells those stories to people who need to see them. Mm. Now, you've changed Spider-Man's outfit. He's based off of Spider-Man. Um, and he's replaced with a dark-skinned superhero with a gray hoodie. And what is his superpower? Uh, survival. Uh, pure survival. That's the number one superpower that he has. He's getting from day to day, week to week, with everything that's pressured around him. Uh, I think he stands out the most because those stories are uh, the most prevalent. Mm -hmm. They might not be the most, uh, they might not happen the most, but they are the most prevalent in our system, whether it is an attack or whether it's survival. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Now, you subvert the genre of comic books by addressing the, the overwhelming whiteness of comic book history, and you reimagine this through the Black experience. You've said once that you've turned off cable TV because every event was like a painting. And you even created a character called the media's thug based on the Incredible Hulk. Can you tell us about that? Well, the media created the character. I just painted it. It was already there. Yeah, um, I just, you know, you, to not be angry all the time, you have to have some set of blinders on. And for most people, it's, it's pretty easy because you know you have you have bills to pay and you have children to raise or you have family members who are sick or you haven't seen them or like real life issues but mm -hmm. i feel like people who walk around in skin that immediately identifies them as other can't turn off those things mm -hmm. so yeah well, well tell us tell us a little bit about your story how you got into comic book art or actually when you first picked up a comic book perhaps and what changed that for you oh so i tell this all the time i learned to read reading comic books like i wasn't really interested in school in that same manner and there was a small library uh, in my neighborhood which has gone away and it had a chest full of comic books and me and my friends and my brother learned how to read like reading those comic books every day during the summer and every day after school um, and never so in school, never in school when you were supposed to like putting the comic book inside a bigger book to read. Never, you never did that, right? No, no, no. Well, in school, I learned that if you did enough to get like a C and you were quiet, teachers had bigger problems than you. Hmm. So they would just be like, okay, well, I want to teach you more stuff, but like this guy is, is throwing stuff. So you can just sit there and do whatever and you just have your little book open and you'd be doing your little thing. Mm. more drawing than like comic books in school because they take them away oh right 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 so what what point um in your art career did you decide to actually focus on the comic books and the stories they tell 
Uh, so um, 2015, like, I, I think maybe a lot of people have a moment where they can remember precisely when they decided to do something. And this mm -hmm. is one of those where I know precisely when I started to do it. So it started, oh, a, maybe a couple of days after Freddie Gray died in the back of a, a van after he was killed on the way to processing for doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for some way to process that while I was like 400 miles or 200 miles away from home. And, you know, I couldn't express it in the way that I wanted to in my abstract work, which is more of a universal uh, thing. And I looked towards my history, towards my nostalgia. When I found my comic books, I, I picked one up and I was like, oh, this isn't, this isn't Spider-Man. This mm. is something else. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I started from there. Mm. Now tell us a little bit, can you pick out one story and describe it to us? Cause you know, this is radio to kind of describe the cover. So to explain your work is mostly the covers of comic books that you've actually collected and then you sort of riff off the cover. Mm -hmm. So I'm changing as little as possible on the cover. And I like to change it in a way where it's hard to recognize that it's been changed from a distance. So mm. say six to eight feet, you're looking at it and you're like, wait, I know this, no, wait, what? And then when you get closer, you can see the hand inside of it. So you can see like the artist's motion, the decisions that are made. Um, I'm not a graphic artist, so I don't precisely match things. So you would never know that it was something else. I want mm. you to see all of the time in, inside of it. And comic books as objects have a history and they have time. And, and I'm using that time to place them into history at the same time. So you'll mm. see uh, like the amazing Spider-Man uh, repainted and maybe some of the background still has the Spider-Man-ness of it. So you'll see reflections of maybe the vulture or uh, some villain, but the superhero and the actual uh, villain have become different characters. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you've created several characters within that it's just not the amazing black man you've got the media thug um you have other characters how many are there and are you thinking of expanding the number of characters uh there are a lot and <laughs> there are more that are like people haven't seen yet and the most exciting part is expanding the roster i wish i knew exact numbers but like that is better for someone who is detail-oriented in paperwork. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And if okay. you want to do it, I'll give you the money because that is totally worth it. Yeah. There, are a lot, there, are, there are a lot of characters. Now, Sandra, how did you find Kamasi's work? And how, how lucky are we to see this? Oh, work? extremely lucky to see mm -hmm. this in person mm -hmm. and, and trying to come out of COVID and the pandemic to have him here. Uh, in person uh, at Stick is amazing. Um, <clears throat> I first learned of his work when uh, Northampton artist Adele Matern uh, texted me and said, you know, I know this great uh, artist. I went to grad school with him. You should check him out. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I did. And I was immediately, um, I, it just took my breath away. I was like, oh my God, this is really powerful commentary mm -hmm. on racial profiling and police brutality and systemic racism. 
And then I am, I reached out to him right away and said, mm -hmm. how can, how can I bring your work to, to the gallery? Well, you have something happening later today. Can you tell us about that so people can listen in? Yeah, so today we are doing a full-length Carberry Conversations interview, uh, Kumasi and myself, um, at 12.15. Uh, and so it's virtual as well as live and in person. And we also have special guests of uh, the Stick Mile students, which is the Mayo um, Institute of Leadership and Education. Uh, we have a special program here uh, to work and support uh, uh, male students of color. And so they're going to be asking some of those questions as well, directly to Kamasi. Well, for more information, go to stcc.edu, Kamasi J. Barnett and Sandra Perron. Thank you for bringing this show to us, and I can't wait to see it. Please go, um, and good luck today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. King of the wisdom, king of the ocean, king of the respect, king of the optimistic and dreamers that go and get it, king of the winners, district and geniuses with conviction, king of the fighters, king of the fathers, king of the Things to do with butternut. Roast it with butter and sage, mash it with butter and maple syrup, stuff it with quinoa, kale, and cranberries, and then there's curried butternut soup. Squash. The season is long, the recipes are endless, and River Valley Co-op is a fall festival of squash. Next time you're there, buy that squash you never buy. Kabocha squash or Blue Hubbard squash. Why? Why not? River Valley Co-op. Everyone is welcome, not just members. And everyone is wild about local squash. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Live your message at whmp.com. Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station.